Welcome to First Baptist Church in Belton. We're glad you found us. We seek to know Jesus intimately, serve Jesus passionately, and share Jesus globally. Thank you so much for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. I'm glad to see you, or at least I feel like I see you. Welcome to worship. I'm so glad you've chosen to be here on the Lord's Day. Whether you're watching in the morning, the afternoon, or the evening, I I certainly am glad that you've chosen to join in. And I just want to give you a heads up. There's going to be a very special announcement at the end of the service today, so don't leave too quickly. Be sure you see the announcement. I know that, that you will want to see it. Now, I ask you to open your Bibles today to the 8th chapter of the book of Romans, beginning with verse 26, Romans chapter 8. The message is entitled, How to Get Through All This, and this is one of the greatest passages in all the Bible. It's one we ought to go to frequently, particularly when we're experiencing uh, challenges like we are today, when you wonder, where is, where is God, and has God forgotten me, and why am I experiencing all this, those tough days, those difficult days. These are great verses to turn to. So I hope you'll find yourself there frequently. And in a moment, we'll begin reading with the 26th verse of Romans chapter 8. Last Sunday, we talked about this subject, Are You Desperate Yet? I hope you spent some time this week crying out to God. I know that I did, and it was very meaningful, and I'm going to continue to cry out to God. And so today, we're going to think about how to get through all of this and this absolutely great passage that is so applicable to where we are in, in, in days that we, frankly, are struggling to make sense out of all of it. COVID-19, riots in our streets, persecution of Christians in many places around the world, genocide in China as the government tries to exterminate minority groups like the Uyghurs and, and others, um, What happened in Beirut, Lebanon this week, a horrible tragedy. Michael Catan, who was in our praise team while a student at the University of Mary Hardin Baylor, is from Beirut, lives in Beirut. He has been keeping us up this week, sending us uh, video and and pictures of what has happened in Beirut. It's horrific. It's awful. Uh, Michael is safe but absolutely devastated in his heart. Uh, all the windows of his apartment were blown out, but, but fortunately he was not injured. We're thankful for that. But when we see things like that, it's hard It's hard to make sense of some things. So here's the question. Will you trust God? In the midst of whatever you're experiencing, will you trust God? When I say the word God... How would you respond in one word? You can just think about it wherever you are. One word, when I say God, your response. Some of you might think love, holy, good, merciful, righteous, grace, faithful, father, redeemer, Others might think angry, vengeful, mean, detached. You would understand that your view of God is very, very important. God is an awesome God, and you do not want to face him in judgment. But the Bible 
clearly points us to his love, his mercy, his grace, seen most clearly in Jesus. It's hard to fathom the death of a young person or the death of a small child, things that on several occasions I've had to deal with in my years as a, as a pastor, the cancer of a godly man or a godly woman, the job loss for a hard-working breadwinner, the murder of a beautiful college student, the death of a mentor by a heart attack while the church was gathered in prayer meeting, and then to finally catch up to his wife at the hospital and The first words she says are the words that every pastor dreads. Why did God let this happen? And I didn't have an answer and often am left speechless at that. Why did God let something happen? The devil wants us to think that God has forgotten us. But that's not true. There is great strength in his goodness and in his presence in our lives. Many of you, if not most of you who are watching, are old enough to remember the Iran hostage crisis in 1979-1980 when Muslim militants invaded the U.S. Embassy in, in Tehran, Iran, and held 52 Americans hostage for 444 days. When the hostage crisis was over, of course, many of the hostages were interviewed. And one of those hostages who had been finally set free said this in his interview. We had no idea the amount of publicity our situation received in America. If we had known about it, it would have made our captivity more bearable. But our captors did everything they could to make us think we had been forgotten by our own country. Well, those of you who lived through it know that they were not forgotten by their country. In fact, it was the captivating moment of the news for 444 consecutive days. They were not forgotten by their country. Neither has God forgotten us. So I read this day, this Lord's Day from Romans 8, beginning with verse 26. I hope you'll follow along. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? 
It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns us? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So from this passage, I want us to to grasp, embrace, think about, remember these things. And the first is this. The Holy Spirit prays for you. According to verses 26 and 27, the Holy Spirit prays for you. When it's hard to pray, the Holy Spirit prays for you. Are you too hurt? Too depressed? Too discouraged? Too shaken? Too mad to pray? Words won't come? Too sad? That's when the Holy Spirit interprets the longing of your heart and takes your longing to the very throne of God, according to the Scripture. He can do this because He knows your longing, your desire to understand, your desire to trust. He knows you inside and out. Gordon Dalby, in his book, Healing the Masculine Soul, writes these words. When Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as the helper, he uses a Greek word, paraclete. There was an ancient warrior's term. Greek soldiers went into battle in pairs. So when the enemy attacked, they would draw together back to back, covering each other's blind side. One's battle partner was the paraclete. Our Lord does not send us to fight the good fight alone. The Holy Spirit is our battle partner, as it were, who covers our blind side and fights for our well-being. When you don't know what to say, He does. The Holy Spirit prays for you. Second thing that I want us to notice from this incredible text is God is at work for your good. God is at work for your good, according to verse 28. Why do bad things happen to believers? Well, it's because we're part of the human race and we're not exempt. Scripture does not promise us exemption from sickness, from tragic death, from loss, from heartache, from pain. We're not promised an exemption. Yet the Scripture says all things work together for good, or God works to bring good from all things. doesn't say all things that happen are good, 
But it does say God works to bring good from all things for us with the stipulation being that we love God and that we are called according to his purpose. We are focused on doing his will. Remember the story of Joseph in the Old Testament book of Genesis? Joseph was the favorite son of his father Jacob. And Joseph's brothers deeply resented Joseph for that. Um, And sometimes Joseph had a way of trying to lord it over them because he was obviously his dad's favorite. Well, you remember the story. The brothers finally had had it. They had had it with Joseph. And so they intended to kill him and make it look like he had been slaughtered by an animal so that they could take bloody clothes back to his father. In fact, that's what they did say. But instead of killing him, They finally decided to sell him into slavery, and Joseph was carried off to Egypt and was indeed a slave in Egypt. But the Bible says God's hand was on Joseph. God was with Joseph. And so there, as a slave in Egypt, in the house of a man named Potiphar, Joseph rose in stature. He was filled with wisdom. He made wise decisions. He took good care of Potiphar's house, and Potiphar trusted him completely. But one day, Potiphar's wife, had noticed how handsome Joseph was, and she tried to lure him into bed, and Joseph refused, and it made her so angry that she accused him of, at best, sexual harassment, and at worst, of attempted rape. And so Joseph ends up in prison. But even there, in, in a horrible prison in Egypt, God is with Joseph, and God blesses Joseph. And other prisoners are being blessed by Joseph. And Joseph is an interpreter of dreams. And you remember that word finally came that, that Pharaoh needed dreams interpreted. And, and in this incredible story, Joseph was able to interpret the dreams of Pharaoh. And it resulted in Joseph being made the number two in the kingdom of Egypt. Who would have ever thought? Well, the story's not over. You remember that the brothers of Joseph came to Egypt because there was famine in Canaan. And they came there to get food so they wouldn't starve to death. And there they encountered their brother, but they didn't recognize him. He didn't look the same, and they weren't expecting to ever see him again. But he certainly recognized them. And so you'll remember the story of how Joseph finally revealed himself to his brothers and how they were so afraid that he was going to kill them. And then you'll remember that when their father died, the brothers were afraid then. Joseph has been holding back, waiting for father to die. And now that he's dead, he's going to kill us now. And you'll remember those words of Joseph in Genesis chapter 5. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. And he reassured his brothers that I have no intention of killing you. God has been in control and he has brought good from all of this. And so we remember that in our challenging moments and we say, how is God going to bring something good from this and all we know to say is i trust you god and i will wait to see what you will do and in the meantime i will be obedient to all that you ask me to do a few years ago there was an anglican bishop in rwanda named john racihana And John had, before being a bishop, had been a pastor 
in Uganda during the reign of the despot dictator Idi Amin. Idi Amin had targeted over 200,000 Ugandan citizens for extinction, people who spoke out against him, particularly Christian leaders, pastors of churches, and members of, uh, of certain ethnics, ethnic groups that he was determined to extinguish. And one day the government soldiers came for John, Pastor John, and he remembers it this way. One of them put the coal barrel of a gun against my ear and held his finger on the trigger. They put me in a car and made me sit on a sack of explosives. As we began moving, I thought, even the slightest jolt, and I'm dead. But the soldiers finally released John, figuring that they had successfully intimidated him and that he would no longer speak out for God. What the oppressors meant for evil, though, God meant for good. Two days after John's harrowing experience and brush with death came the Lord's Day. And as always, John came to his church to preach. But when he came into the church, he was astonished. The church was already filled to capacity, overflowing, people filling the aisles and standing around the walls because they had all heard what had happened. And they came that day to see if John would continue to speak for Jesus. And he did. Except this time he spoke to a larger crowd than he would ever have addressed had he not had the kidnapping experience. God brought good from what man intended for evil. I've tried to think a few times lately what good is going to come from our experience, what good is going to come from meeting virtually and my preaching every Thursday to an empty room, knowing that you'll see it later. And and I can't answer that question yet, except I trust God. But what I do know is that we've been able to trace and we know that we have people watching our services from other countries. Brother Pat has told us that there are groups of over 20 who are watching in Mexico. We have people watching in other places in Texas and other people in the United States who would never have even been in Belton, much less attended our church. And so with our limited knowledge, all we can do is trust God and hope that from that, some hearts are being touched who might not otherwise have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. God, a man said, has shown me so much of his love already that when things happen that I don't understand, I still know that I can trust him. Too much prior proof not to trust him. And perhaps that would be our conclusion today. Now, here's the third thing I want us to remember for this passage of Scripture. God is shaping you into the likeness of his Son. According to verses 29 and 30, God is shaping you into the likeness of his Son. It is the Holy Spirit who draws us to Jesus. And without him, we would not know Jesus. And as he calls us and as he draws us, his master plan is to shape us into the likeness of Christ. Perhaps if you've observed baptism, 
at the church. Every pastor says different things. But what I say when I baptize someone is buried in the likeness of his death, raised in the likeness of his resurrection to walk in newness of life. That's exactly what Christ does in our hearts, in our lives, in the midst of the challenges, in the midst of the difficult days. He is shaping you and me into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And it begins with the inner transformation of salvation and culminates with our standing before the throne of God in the full radiance that the believer will have in his presence. From eternity past, it was, it is, and it will be his plan to shape you and me through all of the circumstances of life. God's plan is not for your comfort or mine, but for his glory. Instead of taking pride in our hard-headedness, let's humble ourselves before him as ones who are soft and pliable in heart. Have the events of 2020, what a year, have the myriad events of 2020 hardened you into a self-centered focus or softened you into greater Christ-likeness? Only you can answer that question. The fourth thing that I want us to notice from the text is this. God will give us what we need because he is for us. God will give us what we need because he is for us. Verses 31 and 32. Before you knew you needed salvation, God knew and he sent his son. Before you knew sin would destroy you, God knew and he offered forgiveness. Before you knew that you needed his power, he knew and sent the Holy Spirit to live in you. And thus we can say with the Apostle Paul from Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, My God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Today, tomorrow, he already knows. He is for you. Now, the fifth and final thing that I want us to notice from the text is this. You are surrounded by God's love. According to verses 33 through 39, you are surrounded by God's love. In the best of times and in the hardest of days, he is with you. You are surrounded by his love. In On August the 16th, 1987, a Northwest Airlines flight 225 crashed just after taking off from the Detroit, Michigan airport. It killed, the the crash killed 155 people. There was one survivor, a four-year-old girl from Tempe, Arizona named Cecilia. Cecilia survived because even as the plane was falling, Cecilia's mother, Paula Chacon, unbuckled her own seatbelt, got down on her knees in front of her daughter, wrapped her arms and her body around Cecilia, and then would not let her go. 
Nothing could separate this child from her parents' love. Neither tragedy, nor disaster, nor the fall, nor the flames that followed, neither height, nor depth, neither life, nor death, nothing. And such is the love our Savior has for us. He left heaven, lowered himself to us, and covered us with the sacrifice of his own body to save us. A little boy had a habit of being late for dinner. His mom would call, and he'd keep playing out in their big yard, and she'd have to call again and call again. He kept being late. So finally they warned him, don't be late again or there'll be consequences. So the next night they called and just like always, he was really late coming in. And when he finally came in and he sat down at the table and looked down, he noticed that the plate in front of him had a piece of bread and a glass of water while his parents' plate were fully loaded with delicious food. He was shocked and and devastated and and groping for what to say when suddenly the arm of his dad came across and picked up his plate and put it in front of himself and then the dad took his plate fully loaded with delicious food and put it in front of his son and looked at his son and smiled. Now here's the testimony of that man when he grew up to be an adult. He said, all my life, I've known what God was like by what my father did for me that night. What a beautiful story and how true it is that we are surrounded by God's love, God's sacrificial love so immense that he gave his son Jesus to die, that our sin might be forgiven, that we might have forgiveness and eternal life. So how can I, as a pastor, expound on verses 33 through 39? I don't think I can. But what I can do is read it to you One more time. Here's what it says. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who then shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. And then, I believe, literally shouting, Paul writes these words. No! In all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation 
will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Enough said. Enough said. I want you to watch the screen. For the next few moments, you'll have some prayer points on the screen in front of you. I hope you'll contemplate, think, reflect, and pray. And then I'll be back in a moment to conclude our service. I don't know where you are as you watch today. Probably most of you are in Belton or Bell County, Texas. But there are some who are watching from other places in Texas or the United States or around the world. And I'm so glad you're watching. So my question for you today is the same question I ask each week, and that is, do you know Jesus? If the answer to that question is no or I'm not sure, then I plead with you today, call out to him. Call out to Jesus. Jesus, your Lord, Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. I want to follow you from this day forward. And if you'll pray that prayer, I hope you'll let us know. There's contact information on the screen in front of you. Reach out to us and let us know because we want to give you some information that will help you to grow as a Christ follower. Now, remember there's a special announcement that will come right after our benediction, but I want us to pray and I will pronounce upon us again, as always, since March 15th, the benediction from Jude 24 and 25. And as as I get ready to pray that prayer, church family, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your encouragement. Thank you for your stewardship. You're an incredible church family, and I love serving as your pastor. So we pray now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy to the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. God bless you all. Church, thank you for staying for this uh, special announcement, and I hope that the service this morning was a blessing to you. November the 13th, 1988, Sharon and our two children, Danny and Christy and I, pulled into Belton, Texas, and celebrated our first Sunday with you as pastor. And I want you to know that it has been an incredible experience for these almost 32 years to serve as the pastor of First Baptist Belton. I dearly love you. I love serving here. My family and I love this community. It is a special place. We have enjoyed not only serving you as pastor, but we've enjoyed the relationships of this community with institutions like the University of Mary Hardin-Baylor, Fort Hood, the medical community, and so many others uh, that have been such a blessing to us here at First Baptist Belton and to your pastor and his family. Back in the fall of 2017, I shared with those who were then on the elder body that my wife and I had prayed and we believed that God was telling us to retire at my birthday in 2019, which would have been in January when I reached the age of 70. And so uh, I would not exactly say that the elders were thrilled to hear it, or maybe they disguised it. But anyway, they accepted it and said, okay, we understand, but we've still got 
well over a year before that happens. Well, just a few months later, then came the opportunity of the hilltop. And so as soon as that happened, the elder body asked me, please, would you reconsider retirement, even though it's still a year away, would you reconsider retirement and stay with us a bit longer? Sharon and I had prayed about that already, and we said yes. We realized the importance of our staying a bit longer. I didn't promise how long we would stay. I certainly didn't promise that we would stay until we actually moved in at the hilltop, but I felt it was important to remain and help the church get started in that process. Well, now here we are a year and a half plus later, and of course you know the situation with the hilltop. We're not quite there yet, and it's going to be a little while before we're able to actually break ground and ultimately move in. So Sharon and I have continued to pray about the matter of retirement. And back in late May, we came to the conclusion that God was clearly telling both of us to retire. And so at the end of June, Sharon retired uh, from her position with the Clean Independent School District. And I'm announcing to you today that it is my intention to retire and I will retire not later than the end of October of, of this year. So that is about three months from now. It is a clear decision in our minds. God has clearly told us that this is what he wants us to do. But by no means does that make it easy. We love you dearly. And we hope to celebrate and enjoy uh, all of you as much as is humanly possible in these last three months uh, before we step down. I am fully confident in the church staff that we have. What an incredible group of men and women that you have allowed to serve with me. They're an incredible staff, and I know that they will continue forward in the days ahead. We have an incredible elder body who will continue to give leadership, and so I am fully confident that the church is in good hands and that in God's time, he will lead you to the man that he wants to pastor this great church in, in the years ahead. And I'll certainly be praying for that process and for that man, whoever he may be. Part of our consideration, of course, was the, was the hilltop. And knowing that it's a way away, we felt that this was a good time to step back. But also right in the middle of COVID, when we made our decision led by the Lord back in May, we didn't have any idea that this thing would still be full grown in the month of August. But still, we feel very clearly that God wants us to step aside. And our hope is that by the end of October, things have improved. And it's so much my heart's desire to be able at least a few more times to preach to the whole congregation in our two regular services. So we'll just trust God and see, uh, see what happens in the days ahead. So church, I love you. I love you. I love you. You are an incredible church family. Thank you for letting me be your pastor for, for 32 years. Uh, I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. And so I look forward to these last three months with you, knowing that God will bless, and we'll have a wonderful time together. And uh, I'll have more to say. This is not goodbye. you still got to endure some more sermons and see me some more. So uh, in the process, we'll share some things together about the future. But I knew that today was the time to go ahead and tell you of uh, our intention and so know again that Sharon and I love you. We appreciate you so much. Please pray for us as we will continue to pray for you. God bless you all.
Are you in need of daily encouragement or want to learn more about First Baptist Belton? Visit our website at fbcbelton.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Follow and like today. Thanks for listening to today's message.